How's everybody doing this morning? We have the Robersons back, so the world, the world is right again. <clears throat> Anything else going on exciting this week? The fall festival is tonight, 5 o'clock? Yep, 5 to 8. 5 to 8. Did you see the um, picture on Facebook of the cutest garbage man you've ever seen in your life? Yes, I did. I did not. That's on Diane's page. Why? The one who likes to clean. Oh, yes, I saw that. He wants to be a garbage man and when he grows up. That's great. That's awesome. <laughs> so, sure, do it. But he's got, a, he's got a garbage truck, too, that he, that he drives. You can't hear? Can you? Can you now? A little? Maybe a little more? Um... Okay, well, let's pray, and then we'll get started this morning. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us, and Father, thank you for watching over us. Thank you for protecting us. Uh, Father, and thank you for loving us and sending your son, Jesus, to die in our place to pay a debt that, that we owe but we can't pay. And so, Father, we just lean on him. And Father, we pray this morning that you would show us in your word um, more about yourself, more about ourselves, and, and just pray that we, would, uh, that we would learn what you have us to learn. Pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, today we wrap up our study, Jesus Through Old Testament Eyes. Um, we've been going for, I guess, a month and a half, seven weeks, something like that. So you guys missed all of it, and I'm going to have to go through the whole thing for you. <laughs> um, but if you'll remember, we started with Abraham, and... Um, God's covenant with Abraham to give him the land and make his descendants, you know, the, the, as plentiful as the, the stars in the sky. Um, then we talked about David, uh, the kingship of David, and how David's descendant was going to be on the throne forever that, and, and pointed toward the Messiah coming uh, and reigning forever. We talked about the exile, the, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Neither one uh, followed God's uh, rule for their lives, um, and God punished them. They, God said that they pollute, polluted the land, so God had them taken off the land. But he didn't forget about them. He didn't um, just send them away and, and be done with them. Uh, he always said that he, was, that he had a remnant. He was, he was going to bring, uh, bring them back to the land. Then we talked about the sacrifice of Jesus, and we looked at the Old Testament sacrifices a little bit, um, and then how Jesus made the perfect sacrifice, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that today. Um, then last week, we talked about the resurrection of Jesus, and today we're going to look at the present rule of Jesus. So, what's Jesus doing right now? Sitting at the right hand of the Father. What's he doing? Mediating for us. We need it. <laughs> Interceding for us. Uh, we have an advocate uh, that, that sits there. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that today, too. He's the king. He's ruling the whole thing. Yeah. So, it starts out with, the, with Psalm 110. And, again, a lot of these passages were so big that the words are so little that I'll just go ahead and read it. 
The Lord says to my Lord, and this is David speaking, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook on the way. By the way, therefore, he will lift up his head. So we talked last week a little bit about um, Psalm 16. And, you know, Psalm 16 is, is also pointing towards Messiah and is fulfilled in the Messiah, um, as the New Testament teaches us. There's a little bit about Psalm 16 that you could, you could kind of apply to the life of David. Psalm 110 is all Messiah. Because it starts right off at the, the beginning that the Lord says to my Lord. So it's clear that David's not talking about himself. He's talking about um, what's to come. Um, and this, this was fulfilled in the Messiah. And uh, we'll be talking a little bit more about that in, in a few minutes. But... Um, up at the top, what does it mean whenever it says, sit at my right hand? What does that indicate to us? Rule, power, honor, authority, all those things. Um, sitting at the right hand of the king. Well, first of all, do people normally sit in the presence of the king, of a king? No, if he's up on the throne ruling, the, the people that are attending him are usually standing. And we see that, um, you know, the, the visions about um, the, the throne room of, of God, the angels aren't sitting. They're standing around waiting for, for God's direction because they're there to fulfill God's will. They're there to, to be ministering spirits. Um, so they're not, they're not sitting. Um, so Jesus is invited to sit at the right hand of the Father. So that's the place of honor. <clears throat> it's also a place of authority, like, like you mentioned. Um, also, what does it mean to sit, I mean, in, in this sense? Uh-oh. Okay. Um, so what, is, what, is it, what does it indicate to us that he's sitting rather than standing? Co-ruling, equal. Um, he's finished. He, his, his ministry, is, as far as the sacrificial ministry, as far as in, uh, paying the price uh, for, for our sins, he, he finished that. And so now he's ascended into heaven and he sits down at, at the right hand. Um, and he's, <clears throat> what about making the, the enemies the footstool? subduing, um, and I think once when we were going through some training with Pastor Joel, we had to uh, summarize the revelation in, what was it, two words or something? Um, Jesus wins, <laughs> or maybe it was five words. He's coming back and he wins or something like that. Anyway, so he wins. He, he is in a position of triumph. 
Um, he's in a position of rest. Uh, he's in a position of authority, of ruling. He's, he's with the Father. And the Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Um, so the, the ministry of God to the people on earth was not solely for Israel. It, it never really was. And if you go back and read, there's a lot of Old Test, Testament passages that indicate that, that that ministry was supposed to go out from Zion. It was supposed to be larger than, than just his small uh, group of people. So um, he sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter uh, to rule in the midst of your enemies. Um, and how will his people respond? Um, offer themselves freely, if you didn't, couldn't hear what he said. Um, there's, there's a mischaracterization of, of Calvinism that you know, we believe that, that the call of God is irresistible, that if God calls you, you will come. Well, so some people say, well, what, is he going to drag you kicking and screaming? Is he? No. No. Why not? What what did you say? And then I'm going to ask him. Because once you're illuminated, you see the truth. Right. Once you understand the truth, that calling becomes irresistible. Yep. And Frank, what did you say? The spirit will change you. Right. Yeah, the spirit works in our heart. Remember? Takes out the heart of stone, gives us a heart of flesh. And so we see God for who he really is. And and we we offer ourselves freely. He doesn't call us dragging in, or drag us into the kingdom kicking and screaming. We willingly submit to him. We willingly lay down uh, our lives to, to follow him. Um, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. First of all, how, I mean, how secure is that promise, do you think? The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You could probably take that to the bank. <laughs> because remember that God created everything that is. So he has promised, this is what I'm going to do, and I will not change my mind. Um, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What do we know about Melchizedek? He was a king and a priest, and not much other than that. <laughs> so... Right. Which is where the priests came from at that time. Right. He, his, his priesthood was not Aaronic. It was, it was different. How, how was it different? I, you know, I don't know exactly, but, the, but he was not a, a descendant of Levi, which is where the priests right. were all assigned to be from. You know? And then after, after, um, after some, what was it, uh, after the desert, after exile to the desert, then they became sons of Aaron. Mm -hmm. And sons of Aaron then were the priests. Right. Melchizedek was not. Right. I don't know a lot about him, only that he was king of, of, uh, of Salem. Well, that's the big, that's which, the big difference. Which is later Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And, and we know that he uh, offered this offering as a priest to um, uh, Abraham as Abraham was coming back into the, yeah. into the, from the victories. Well, Abraham gave him a tithe of the, tithe. Of, of the spoils. But the, the big difference is he was a priest and a king, um, like, like you mentioned. 
Um, and he didn't get his priesthood from, from succession from his line, from being you know, in the right family. He was appointed to that, to that role. And he was, he was um, kind of a prefigure of, of some of the roles that Christ would fulfill. And again, he was a, a shadow in the Old Testament where Christ fulfilled the job perfectly um, down the road. But he's kind of pointing uh, toward Christ, uh, both the priest and a king. And that's kind of what this psalm uh, points to, is that the Messiah is going to sit on the throne as a king, but he's also our priest. Um, and so we're going to look at Hebrews 1, 1 through 14, kind of in, in with, that, with that in our mind, the Psalm 110 in, in the back of our minds. So um, are those letters big enough for anybody to read? I mean, you got, yep, that's fine. Well, just one through six if you're using your own Bible in Hebrews 1. So the son is, is different than angels. Um, up there in verse 1, the uh, emphasis is on the many times and the many ways. So it's, it's um, how did God communicate through his prophets, the Old Testament prophets, or to his prophets? Do you remember any of the examples? Just He spoke to them. He spoke to them. Through angels, that would be scary. <laughs> um, visions, dreams, um, burning bushes. I mean, there's there's all kinds of different ways throughout the Old Testament that that God got His word across to to His prophets, and then they uh, and then they passed it on to His people. But in these last days, how many ways are there? one way, through his son. Um, and he brought the very word of God to us because he is the word of God. So he came and he showed us or told us what, what God would have us to know. Um, so the question, and I don't have any idea that you would guys are going to get this one wrong, but is that a different message than the Old Testament? This is a test. Is, the, is the, the many ways and the many times that, that God spoke through the prophets, is that different than speaking through the Son? Did that make sense, or is it still? The Old Testament, was the message different? No, 
No. It's the same. I mean, it arrives in slightly different, uh, different ways, but, but the message is the same. We have a progressive revelation that God started, you know, all the way back in Genesis. And he uh, progressively revealed things about himself and about um, his work uh, through the time. But the, the author of that message is the same. Um, so God's revelation completed in his son is a unit, a harmonious totality in which the old is fulfilled in the new. That's not my sentence. That's from a commentator. Because <laughs> I wouldn't have used totality. <laughs> so we have a progression um, from the Old Testament prophets, the different ways that God spoke to them. Um, so how does God speak to us today? Through his word. We have his word recorded for us. Um, what else do we have today that they didn't have back then? The Holy Spirit, critical to understanding his word, uh, to guiding us to the part of his word that, that we would need to, need to know. Um, so we can understand the things of God um, better in some ways than, than what they could understand them back then. But even with that, there, there were things back then that, that they could have understood, and, and a lot of them did understand. Um, so move, moving on, he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After, pure, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So what's the difference in reflecting the glory of God and radiating the glory of God? Right. So we should be reflecting, but can we radiate? No. Probably not in this sinful flesh. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I think you're right. And I think that the less our flesh hinders that, the, the more radiating it will be. But it's still God that radiates. That's neat. I didn't think about that. But that is good. Um, and he's the exact imprint of, of God's nature. He upholds the universe. Um, so if you think about the old catechism questions, what are the three offices of Christ? Prophet, priest, and king. We can see those here in these verses. Um, although its order has changed to prophet, king, and priest. Um, up there in verse two, I mean in verse one, uh, 
verse 2, God spoke by, by his son, so he's the prophet uh, bringing God's word to us. Um, in verse 3, he's the radiance of the glory and the exact imprint of the nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Um, he's our king. He's all-powerful. Um, and then later on in that verse, after he made purification for sins as our priest, he sat down. Um, so we can, we can see all those. So he moves on to, um, to verse 5 there. It says, you are my son, today, today I've begotten you. Um, and that comes from, from, verse, um, from Psalm 2, um, talking about uh, God talking to his son. And then the second part of that comes from 2 Samuel. And the context of 2 Samuel is kind of interesting because it's God talking about David's son Solomon. So it was partially fulfilled in Solomon, but we can see, especially from this verse and also just what we know about how things came about, it wasn't fully fulfilled until Christ came, until the Messiah uh, filled that. Um, and he's the one that, <clears throat> that God was ultimately talking about. And then that last verse there, let all God's angels worship him, comes from Deuteronomy, uh, a hymn of Moses. And then we'll move on in this passage, unless somebody has something else. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, but like a, like a robe you will roll them up. Like a garment they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. Um, so up in that uh, uh, verse 7, that comes from Psalm 104. And again, the angels are a part of God's created order. They are standing ready to do his will. Uh, they're, they're um, you know, we kind of, what do we think of whenever we hear the word angel in our culture? You know, the little cherub with the little wings and the harp and all that kind of stuff. That's not what they were. That's not what they are. Um, when an angel visited someone in the Old Testament, what was the reaction? Fear. Fear. People are falling on the ground like, you know, don't kill me or whatever. Um, like the shepherds that were out in the field whenever the angels came to announce that Christ had been born. They were afraid. Uh, so this, they're not some cute little thing that flitting about with, uh, with you know, little wings. Um, they're God's messengers. And, uh, and like I said, they're, they're there in obedience to his will. So whatever he wills, whatever he commands, that's what they do. Um, Verse 8 comes from Psalm 45, um, and that could only be fulfilled in the, in the Messiah. And we see there the deity of Christ when it says, Your throne, he's talking to the Messiah, Your throne, O God. So, you know, there's not very many ways to interpret that, that, that the Messiah is going to be God. Um, 
And who are the companions listed down there? <clears throat> Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Who are the companions of Christ? That is the whole theme. Though, I mean, it could be his earthly companions, uh, the people that he lived with among the earth uh, in his human nature, that could possibly be it. But it's a, or all others in heaven. Okay. Um, how about all Christians? Well, that's, that's the way our friend John Calvin interpreted it. <laughs> Um, but I, 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 I agree. It, just from that one little verse, it's hard to tell with it, without the overall, you know, context of, of what's going on. It's hard to tell exactly what what he was uh, talking about. Um, Calvin said, "Hence he is the Christ. We are Christians proceeding from him as rivulets from a fountain. So since we're part of Christ, as far as you know, our identity is part of Christ. We are, you know, like." Uh, rivulets flowing from him, the, the fountain, uh, kind of along the same idea as the, um, the uh, vine and the branches. We're the branches, he's the vine. Um, so verse 10, that passage comes from Psalm 102. And uh, I think the big, the big thing there is that God is unchangeable. Um, and think about that for a minute. You know, we... In our world, what's, what's one of the biggest sources of stress that we have? Change. Change. We don't know, especially the older I get, the, the more that's true. Um, I really get cranky if somebody messes with my routine. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, um, but at work they know, they, my, the people that I work with know what's gonna make me aggravated. And when something comes up that was not expected, that I've got to deal with, that just irritates me. Um, hopefully I handle it in a God-like manner, but <laughs> usually I think I do, sometimes maybe not. Um, but God is unchangeable. Um, and it's comforting to know that, that, you know, the things that we look at in our world that are going on, you know, things are going crazy in Israel right now, and you know, things are going crazy on the streets in our own country right now, and, you know, all this kind of stuff, God is unchangeable. Um, and so it's just very comforting that we can, uh, that we can look at that. And the, the thought that popped into my head when I was going through that verse this morning was um, the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. You know, I can't, can't sing, so I'm not going to, but if you think, you guys are old enough to know the, the words of that hymn, so you can, you can kind of run those through your head. But, um, you know, thou changest not. And so it's, it's just very, very comforting to know what he was is what he is, and it's what he's going to be. And so we have, we have that to, to fall back on. And finishing up this, this passage, and to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Um, and that's our passage. That's our, our 
contact with, with Psalm 110 that we uh, talked about a few minutes ago. Um, and to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make enemies a footstool for your feet? Why does the author of Hebrews go to such an extreme to show the contrast between Jesus and the angels? Yeah. Well, back in the first century, back in the first century, there was kind of a tradition within Judaism that venerated the angels, and there were even some who, I mean, you think of like the seven sons of Sceva and others who attempted to like purchase the Holy Spirit or purchase. They were, uh, you know, driving out, attempting to drive out demons in the name of Jesus. The demons said, "Well." We know the apostles, we don't know you. And so I think there was a whole kind of area where people were invoking the names of, of angels as sort of guardian spirits and kind of like demigod uh, people. They found amulets from the first century that had the names of angels on them along with Jesus. Um, and so people were not necessarily worshiping them in the same way that mm -hmm. they would worship God. They were at least elevating him almost to the level where sometimes we some Roman Catholic traditions elevate the saints mm -hmm. you know and so it was almost like a veneration almost to the point of worship but not, not quite so just right. kind of really wanting to draw a strict distinction yeah, uh, yeah they're not worthy of our worship um, and that's kind of a long a, the, the author of the, the study not the author of Hebrews the, the author of the study that we're using he never answered that question in the leader notes. So I didn't, that, that was the, the answer similar to that. I didn't realize that there was that tradition that you were talking about, but, but I was thinking along the same lines as the, the angels aren't worthy of our worship. Yes, they're, they're you know, by uh, standing in the presence of God and, and um, it's not like they're, um, you know, of no use, but, but they're not worthy of our worship like the sun is. The sun stands unique. Right. So an angel is supposed to get up. Yep. Yep. Like in Revelation, you see that he, when God is worshiping, you're compelled to get up. Yeah. Not an angel. Right. Um, years ago, I, well, I think I've mentioned before, I, I was taking a class in church history, and um, one of the things that one of our assignments, we had to go to a Greek Orthodox service. So I don't know if you've ever been to worship in a Greek Orthodox church, a beautiful church. Um, they've got everywhere, they've got, you know, um, up, a, up in, on the top, they've got a picture of the saints, I mean, the, the apostles, you know, they're looking down, you know, worshiping with you. And so it's a reminder that, that we're not all alone. I'm so, you know, there's some positive things that you can do to that. But one of the things they do is behind the altar or in front of the altar, they've got a um, wall and they've got pictures of saints on that wall. So they're doing the liturgy because it's all liturgical. They, they say the, the same words every, every Sunday. So they're doing the liturgy and someone will just get up in the middle of, of the service and they'll go up and they'll light candles at one of these things that are up in the thing and, and you know, kneel down, say a prayer or whatever, and they'll go back to their seat and somebody else will go up. And it's, so it's constant, you know, people are moving around. And so I asked after the service, 
the priest was very gracious uh, to me because I explained to him what, what I was doing. <clears throat> and we had some great conversations. Um, he's no longer the priest down there, but, um, but we spoke for um, several hours overall. Um, and I talked to him about that, and I said, so what, well, I don't understand. And, and I said, we're, and I brought up, you know, we're not supposed to bow down to other people. Christ is the only one that we're supposed to bow down and worship to. He said, well, no, 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 we don't worship the saints. We, I think, adore, or uh, they have a different word for it. I can't remember. Venerate, yeah. Um, so that's, that's different. And I said, well, it looks, <laughs> it looks the same to me. <laughs> and I brought up that passage, in, uh, especially the one in Revelation, where um, John was talking to an angel, and he dropped down to the ground, and the angel said, no, 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 get up, get up, get up. You, you worship God only. I'm just, you know, I'm created just like you are. Um, so, and he said, well, I think some people probably do take it over the line, um, and, and they, they worship, uh, worship the, the saints, worship the, the icons. And um, so it was a very good uh, conversation, but, but I, I'm, I think that is the, the main point here is that, that God is, uh, Jesus is the only one that we're to worship. God is the only one that we're to worship. Um, so yes, the angels are important, but they're not worthy of our worship. Um, and I think it's, it's interesting that um, Jesus used the same passage whenever he was uh, talking with the Pharisees. And I always get a kick out of when Jesus was interacting with the Pharisees because, you know, they were the religious right of their day and, and Jesus didn't give them any slack. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. <laughs> so I, I really love that last phrase because they, they knew, yeah, okay, this is not going to go well for us, so we're just going to, we're not going not to say. But Jesus illustrates, you know, that same, that same thought in this passage that, um, that the Messiah is Lord. And David saw that and prophesied to that um, as something to, to come down the, down the future. Um, and then, of course, my favorite book, Ephesians. For this reason, and this is kind of like where Christ is right now, and it kind of wraps up what, what uh, these other passages have been saying. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion 
and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So that kind of shows the Apostle Paul's view of where Christ is, what he's doing, um, why he's there. Uh, just kind of summarizes that all up um, for us. Any comments on that verse? We're screaming along toward the end here. And I just like to end it up where, where God ends it up. Um, at the end of Revelation, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And you can see that, that language here echoes the psalm that we, that we read where uh, the psalmist was talking about how the, the world's going to be rolled up like a, like a robe. These things are passing away. But in the end, and also what we talked about a week, last week and week before, um, God himself will be with them as their God. So we will be his people. He will be our God, and we will be living together with him uh, in heaven uh, the dwelling place of God is with man. What are your comments? I think it's interesting in Psalm 110 where it says, the Lord said to my Lord, the word for Lord and Lord are different. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like Yahweh, the God Almighty said to my Lord, Adonai, or mm -hmm. another one. So he's drawing a distinction between himself Right. Right. Yeah. And that doesn't come, come across in the English translation very well. Um, and I look back at, at the, the copy that I had on, on here, and it de didn't even have the, the all caps thing that it, that, it, um, that it was. But yeah, I don't know if you guys heard that, but when the Lord said to my Lord, Jehovah, um, Yahweh said to Adonai, so God said to, to my Lord. So next week, we will be starting something new. Philippians, right? Dr. Ladner will be leading you. Be nice to him. <laughs> yes, you have. You always are. But he's not me, so you know. That's right. They've, they've been saving it up. Frank's especially hateful, but you got to, you know. <laughs> Always have trouble with Frank. Frank, would you close us in prayer, please? <laughs>
Thank you.